0: your town on the wide open shore oh, I must confess I was drawn I was drawn to the ocean I thought it spoke to me It said look at us, we're not churches not schools, not skating ponds, swimming pools and we have lost people, haven't we though oh, That's what the ocean can know of a body and that's when I Back to town. This town is a song about you. You don't know how lucky you are. You don't know how much I adore you. You are a welcoming back from the ocean.
1: Good afternoon, if you're just tuning in. I'm so glad you did. Today on Living Writers, Bonnie Joe Campbell is here in the studio. Bonnie, welcome. Welcome to Living Writers. Welcome to the the basement um, underground fort of WCBN-FM Ann Arbor.
2: It is so great to be here. <laughs> I was glad to follow the hallways down to the end and meet interesting people who guided me to you
1: we've got we've got a Jim Campbell sighting and now we've got Jason Voss behind the glass um, engineering today Uh, and Bonnie thanks for choosing today's songs oh and before we like start I'll just say we're taping this recording today's episode it's January 22nd 2024 um, when we're talking and
2: so Bonnie Thanks for choosing the music. Oh, yeah. It was so great that um, there's there's a website called Large Hearted Boy, where a lovely fellow asks writers for a playlist to go with their book. And so there is a playlist that you can hear. I think it's got... I couldn't resist. So it has 16 songs on it. So I... I could have I could have put 50 songs on it, but I held back. So I love that Dar, the song you just heard, Dar Williams, The Ocean. Friend of the show from long ago
1: she's been on. But why the ocean? Let's talk about that song because I love it too. And I wanted to thank you for choosing that one for today because, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm writing a story, not about the ocean, but about the swamp. And I just found that the st- swamp this watery place I think probably a lot of the listeners know if you're from Michigan you know that Michigan was at one time almost all swamp the lower part of Michigan was swamp from stem to stern and it's only been filled in by you know farmland for filled in for farmland and uh, but
1: and underground tiles right that make a system for the water to travel on and dries out the top
2: Y- yeah, I know that's I you know where I learned about that was in Jane Smiley's book. That's where oh. I learned about those underground tile systems. I learned from Janet Kaufman. Oh, you did?
1: Yes. <laughs> great writers both. Exactly. And also, thanks for, they're also friends of the show. Yeah. We're only, we're, we're only talking about people who apparently have been on Living Writers today, so. Oh, no. Well, who, who
2: else matters? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's, yeah. Well, it's, let me just say, Bonnie Jo Campbell, it took, I've been looking forward to this moment for a long
2: time. Oh, well, <laughs> it is so great that we could be here. But yeah, we're, you know, here we are in Michigan, surrounded by water we have about a million bodies of water big enough to drown in <laughs> we are surrounded by lakes and streams and underground streams and swamps and marshes and fens and bogs and the water will have its way i mean i love that dar williams song because she's singing to the ocean and then the ocean sings back and the ocean sings back and says i'm not sentimental you know you can you can sing to me but I will swallow your sailors and I'll spit up their keepsakes, and you know I feel like the swamp to some degree will, you know it over time the swamp will dissolve everything that goes into it. Um, the swamp is a fertile. I think of the swamp or the the wetland we should say as. Absolutely, the most fertile, interesting ecosystem there is. Um, it's so filled with plants and animals and creatures are making their lives, and it's different in all the seasons. You know, it's different in the spring. And one of the challenges with writing about the swamp was really being careful about what what the season was and what the month was, because all the flora and fauna are different. You know, according to the season.
1: <laughs> and for you,
2: I mean, you had to be
1: in your imagination as the, the novel or the drafter. I imagine you, as you're drafting it, Bonnie, it's all comes so naturally to you, but you're also in it because you're writing from it, an area of Michigan that you're also living in presently.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a Michigan writer writing about Michigan. And grew up here. Uh, born yeah, I grew and up raised. here. I did. I went away for a couple of years. To get perspective. <laughs> Wait, where did you go? Will you remind so me? So I left, uh, I went to sh- school in, well, first I went to school in Los Angeles for a year. That was crazy. So far. <laughs> I know. It's I thought, so let me get as far away as I can. And then I ended up going to University of Chicago. And that made more sense. You know, I'm a Midwestern gal. So I went to University of Chicago. And then after, after I graduated with a degree in philosophy, I... Rode my bicycle to Boston, and I lived in Boston for a few years, and that uh, was where I learned to look look at my home place differently. I always thought that my my Michigan was the most ordinary, possibly boring place, where all the us- the regular people who weren't very interesting were. But when I was in Boston, I would tell family stories, and find that other people found them fascinating. And this would be even, um,
1: would it, uh, like at a bar or somewhere else where you're talking with other people and writers, like in, in different circles, and you were also writing about different things at that point, but the people wanted were it kept leaning in or wanted to know more when you talked about these Michigan people. Yeah, these I Michigan thought I stories. wanted to
2: write about, you know, Chicago people because they were <laughs> exciting. They rode they rode the L, you know, and they lived in apartment buildings and had and, a certain kind of parties that I thought was sophisticated. And you've seen those stories before, read those novels. Before. Right. That is what I thought literature was. You know, I thought literature was about sophisticated people. And then, but a few, I would had a few inklings early on, like when I finally read Flannery O'Connor, I said, oh, holy moly. You mean you can write about these people, you know, you can write the, about the kind of people who are, I don't know, just driving a car until the gas runs out and then junk in the car and then moving on to the next town. And, and there's a guy who seduces a woman with one leg and, or seduces a woman and takes her leg. <laughs> you know, I thought, wow, that's, that's stuff to write about. And then I think maybe when it really hit me was, I think I was in Boston when I read, uh, Carolyn shoot. And I read the beans of Egypt, Maine. And you know, it was like, Holy mackerel! Yes, you can write about these people next door who are, you know, I don't know. The kids live in a hole in the ground and they don't go to school. And you can, but I, I just kind of opened up a world to me. And I, I looked at my own community, and I said, Oh, these people are doing interesting things. And the very first thing I wrote that was probably any good, um, but that was about my community was. I wrote a a kind a piece about um, driving to the dump. We used to go to the compactor and take all of our garbage there instead of having garbage service. But it was it was by a neighbor's house, and we'd had an experience where the neighbor's cow um, had walked out. The neighbor had cattle, and they and they they watered themselves at a little pond, but they um, they had the what the pond had frozen so one of the cows went out on the ice and fell through and drown and it was a terrible thing but the cow was dead and that was sad but we didn't want to we didn't want to waste the meat <laughs> so we all went over there mom and i and my brothers and sisters and we went over there with a with a chainsaw and we we knew there was a boat over there so we went over there and we had to get the cow out of the pond and the cow was frozen into the ice. So it was a whole big all day family activity of, you know, trying to break through the ice. And then we had to get this cow out of the ice and we had to, you know, basically cut the cow up, cut, cut the cow's legs off with a chainsaw. It was very grisly, And so I was telling somebody this story and I realized this is my real life that's maybe a story that hasn't been told, or maybe it's something that is worth exploring at least. And so, yeah, so I, I, uh, I wrote, you know, I wrote this story. And this was a story that ended up in my first collection. But it still kind of took me, it took me quite a while to puzzle out You know what my own people were about, but I think that's the important thing about getting away. You know, Mm -hmm. being in a different place, seeing your seeing your own people through a stranger's eyes, and then also, then I came back home. Uh, I got myself a nice husband uh, from Boston area, and then we moved. Actually, we moved to Milwaukee for a year. Milwaukee's kind of a kind of a cool city, and then we came back to Kalamazoo, and. I then lived with my people with this kind of, I guess it was more with a writer's perspective than just a hometown girl. And so seeing my family and my people um through the eyes of a writer um was really fun. And I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say it's just that because I really I it isn't like I'm not absolutely there with my people. I mean, I'm there with everyone. But I also have this other, you know, this alter ego that is the writer who is looking at the situation with uh, maybe a more global perspective. And so I, I do find that it's the very the place I write from, I'm only, you know, this was hard for me to even figure out what I was doing. You know, we go through life doing things without really knowing. But I, I'm very much involved in my everyday life. I'm very much involved with a lot of people who have a lot of struggles, uh, economic struggles, and family struggles. And it's my very involvement and my emotional involvement with those struggles that then causes me to worry and causes my my brain to turn things over and over and over in my head for weeks and months and even years and then that worry turns out to be the very stuff that i write about <laughs> sometime later yes and so and it is i I change things up. You know, the thing that inspired me, that worried me, um, I change it over time because it over time it mixes with other things. Um, And then I'm, but I'm writing about it, and usually the people I'm writing about aren't feeling aware that I'm writing about them. So I I don't, I I try not to invade anybody's privacy. And the few times I have written something that's very personal, um, I share it with those, I share it with those people and say, if you, you know, how do you ask them how they feel about it? But usually, in the course of turning a real life concern into a story Um, things change radically. So things change radically. Like, um, for example, I I was very concerned when there were a lot of stories a few years ago about women um, basically being at a party and then waking up the next morning and realizing something terrible had happened. But I think not knowing what had happened, either because of drugs or alcohol. And so, you know, I did write about something that was personal, that I had heard, an incident I'd heard about, but I also mixed that with what I'd learned about in the news and also with my own personal experience from the past, and I was able to explore that. And, you know, without invading anybody's anybody's privacy. For that example, Bonnie, was that in Mothers Tell Your Daughters? Yeah, lead, that was... Was it the lead story? Yeah, okay. it was the beginning. And, you know, that, that topic is so... I mean, that should be a topic that we're constantly thinking about. That, you know... I mean, that book, um, Mothers Tell Your Daughters, it's, um, it's funny that none of the reviewers noticed, but the book, every every story in that book ra- arises from some kind of sexual violation you know and not always a rape but something something sexually you know something that is not right has happened and those i'll warn i mean if you're going to read it don't worry this i don't delve into it i don't i don't spend time in the violation, but I'm very interested in how women move through that and out of it and how such violations do affect women. I mean, they do affect women in the short term, but also in the long term. I mean, mothers with daughters are often very, look, are affected again by what happened to them. And then fears for their
1: own daughters. Yeah. Let's take a short break and then when we come back more today with Bonnie Jo Campbell the novel, her latest just out January 9th uh, with Norton um, The Waters. I'm T. Hetzel you've got Living Writers. We'll be back
2: Can I cough?
0: Will there be any bartenders up there in heaven Will the pubs never close Or will the glass never drain No more DTs And no shakes And no horrors And the very next morning You feel right as rain. But God loves a drunk The lowest of men like the dogs in the street And the pigs in the pen, But a drunk's only trying To get free from his body And he soars like an eagle High up there in heaven And his shouts and his curses Are just hymns and praises To kickstart is mine now
1: Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're just in time. Today on the program, Bonnie Jo Campbell is here in the studio. We've got her latest novel just out with Norton, The Waters of on the table with us, and we've got Jason Voss behind the glass engineering. Thanks, Jason, today. And thanks to Cheryl Johnston for sending the waters to me and and her excellent work um, making this all, like, us together today here, Yeah, Cheryl Johnston (laughs) is the
2: greatest. She's my friend and my publicist, and she really believes in literature and gets the
1: word out. And believes in her writers, too. (laughs) I can tell. I, yes. And, um, well, wow. So a shout out to Cheryl as well. Um, so Bonnie, the music that we just heard the second now, like from your, um, your, your, uh, your, your soundtrack for the waters <laughs> that's on large hearted boy that folks can check out the entire list. But can you tell us about what we just heard? Well, I
2: just love this song. Um, and now I'm embarrassed. I can't remember who wrote it. It's very easy to figure out who wrote it, but, um, I love Norma Waterston's version of it because she's a she gives it gravitas. She's, you know, an older woman and you sort of get from the sound of her voice you get the feeling she's seen a lot of life and she's experienced, she knows what drinking is about. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just love this song. I mean, I'm interested in alcoholics. Um, and I love the the premise of the song is in that part you just heard that, um, that a drunk is just trying to get free from his body. Mm. You know, and it's, there's something spiritual about drinking. I mean, we all, there's a reason we drink. Um, it's, it's a spiritual act. We're trying to rise to a higher place and then we fall off our bar stools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's a Humanity. little, there is a little drinking in the waters in the book, the waters. Yes. Um, my character, Rose Thorne, who is, there's, um, the novel has three generations of women who are who are living in the swamp, or their family comes from the swamp, and the matriarch is um, Hermine, who is called herself. I love that. <laughs> and I hope those of you who come from any kind of an Irish family yes. will get the joke that you know. Often the patriarch is called himself, and I wanted to create a woman who had that kind of authority in the family. And, and even in the community, they call her herself. Um, and then the next generation, there's a there's a girl, her granddaughter is Dorothy, and she's called Donkey. And if you read the book, you'll see why. And she's, uh, she's an 11 year old, and she's um, kind of interested in mathematics. She wishes people around her would be more logical. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> and she also loves men. And then her mother uh, is Rose Thorn, or Rosie, and she drinks a bit. She—that's her liquid adventure. You know, there they are in the waters. And Rosie really likes to drink and read books. That if she could just ri- drink and smoke and read books, she's she'd such be. a dreamer. She is. <laughs> <laughs> she's a dreamer, and the people of the community somehow put their dreams on her, they somehow, the people of the community, all project something different onto Rose Thorne. She's an object of interest. Many people are, many people are annoyed with her because she doesn't hold a job. She seems to be just lying around all the time. They say she's lazy, but they kind of enjoy saying she's lazy. You know, it's kind of an important thing. She's an important person in everybody's lives. And she's really the one in the book who brings people together. And I would say she does have a job, you know, that, there's, there's a certain emotional work that she's doing <laughs> the toll yeah <laughs> <laughs> even as she's you know got her feet up and uh, as I do right now you know she's got her feet up and she's got a beer in her hand but somehow somehow she's doing important work and bringing the community together and if if um you know it's funny these three types of women the sort of um exhausted matriarch who's mm-hmm kind of impatient with sentimentality and the um the you know young precocious girl that's an interesting character for me yes. somebody who has a superpower her mathematical ability is kind of a superpower yes. and it makes her precocious and then a woman in the middle who just can't bear to follow the rules mm. you know she yes. just can't knuckle knuckle under, you know, if you try to pin Rosethorn down, she's just going to wiggle loose. She's and, like the waters. Yes, yeah, she is flowing in her own direction. And, you know, in a sense, all these women are the waters. And, and he, you know, the, in coming up with the title of the book, that was kind of a challenge um, because I originally wanted to call the book Donkey because I thought it was a cute title and I liked having the girl front and center. But my editor didn't like it. And now I finally, you know, once the book was published and once we had a title that I, I really love, I am very happy my editor, Jill Byloski, really wanted us to come up with a, a different a better title that a title that maybe respected the the bigness of the book. It's a big story. It's an ep- it's an epic story of multi generations. And That's she was true. absolutely right. And so um I worked with my agent, Bill Clegg, who is just an angel and a brilliant man. He um, he and I were trying to come up with a title and I, we had this long phone conversation and I don't, I'm awkward on the phone. I'm I feel still I can't think we usually went on the phone. He said, We're just gonna stay with it. We're just gonna <laughs> stay with it till we have a title. And we um we were trying to come up with something like a, a word that means a group of women. We didn't like witches, which is sets the wrong tone. Even though there's witchiness in and the magic. novel. And yeah, yes. there's, yeah. there's a magical tone. And to Healing. Th- Yeah. And but it had to be something like the muses or the Hmm. the furies or the fates or something like a group of women. But none of them had the right feeling. They all were either dismissive of women's real power or they were like made us seem like, you know, what we call it, you know, the bitches, you know, I mean, I mean, we wanted something that was grand. And I, I, I just thought of the waters as being, because I'd been thinking so much about this environment, the way that we have the swamp, and we have these little, we have our, it's also, this is an area where our tea, the water is artesian. So you don't have to dig a deep well. I mean, many do, but you can just, you can just, pound a pipe into the ground and water will flow out of it that is
1: incredible yeah
2: and in fact this comes from um i don't know if this is the right place to say this but my family um My grandparents had a tiny island in the St. Joe River. It was just a little island that you get to by a walking bridge. So this comes, I come honestly to the island living. And so the water there was artesian. You just had to, and so we basically dug our own wells. We just pounded a pipe into the ground and water came out. And uh, yeah, we could talk more about the island. It's really fun. But on this, so there's a river that flows by the Old Woman River. And the, um, the swamp is filled with streams. If you've ever spent time in a swamp, there's just little bits of water trickling up. And that is the artesian effect of water, but there's all kinds of waters. And I thought these women are the waters, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they change with the seasons. They, they flow, um, they, they flow. resilient. They're very resilient and they they are different in different seasons. I mean they're you know, in the winter things freeze up and people become quiet. And in the spring everything gushes forth. And I was thinking about in my youth, you know, all the you know, I grew up in a family um, you know I I canned tomatoes, you know I create made stewed tomatoes and canned them with my mother and I milked a cow and that's another kind of water and we made homemade wine even before I drank wine. you know I knew how to make homemade wine. And so just that seemed seemed to be when we hit upon that title, um, Bill and I you know looking back, it was, now I say, oh, of course it was the right title, but still at the time we were kind of, we think this is the right title, you know, we think we've got it. And I'll say, for me, titling a book is always a challenge. It's the last thing I come up with. Almost always for for novels, for short stories, it's almost the last thing that I get right. So it sounds crazy, but it's almost that I, I do so much revising when I write. I, I revise and revise and revise. I rev, you know, people talk about, oh, I did four revisions. I do <laughs> thousands of revisions. And each one, I think, m- clarifies the meaning of the novel. Each time I revised, it made the novel it made it more clear to me what the novel was about. And so hitting that title was maybe the final. It allowed me to do my final revision once we had that title. That once I knew it was The Waters, then I could revise the book with that in mind. The People Call, the pe- I, this was only in the final versions, did... People call the place the Waters. It's it's called Massasagua Swamp. But when I realized the title of the book, I was able to revise and, and add that layer in of the Waters. And you know, she makes herbal medicines. And also, I realized, oh, some of those medicines are Waters. You know, they're they're tonics. And so it really helped me. And and then in that final revision, every time I was I needed to complete a sentence um, and I wasn't quite sure what metaphor to use, I could move to the waters. And I want to give a shout out to my copy editor who did more than copy edit. Uh, Her name is Heidi Bell and she was officially my copy editor, but she really worked as a line editor, which means she worked through every sentence with me. And she really helped me. She was, you know, I mean, it's it's a glorious thing to to not be alone when you're writing a book, and she was with me at this stage, and she was as devoted to the book as I was at that stage. So yes. shout out to Heidi. <laughs> how yeah, shout out to Heidi, and
1: how lucky Bonnie that. But I also feel like you are maybe the kind of person, the the the, the kind of writer that also is. Um, be open to that in a way that then these people are drawn to you and to the work as well, so that you're kind of giving this, um, uh, openness in like an opportunity, which maybe some folks aren't. But to, like to to hear you talk about the line at like that level of closeness together. Is, yeah, yeah is no, amazing. you're
2: absolutely right. I'm, I'm very much, I, I write with an open, absolutely open mind, and I think that is why I, I would never claim to be a, a, a great writer, but I'm a very good, um, reviser. I'm a very good, good rewriter, and it's, I, th- I'm always trying to figure out why why that's my ability and i think a lot of it is that i am very open to anybody who's who cares about the work and wants has an opinion about it i'm always eager to listen i'm eager to hear other voices i think it's a great luxury to not write alone um so much of the writing has to be alone you know so much of it is me alone at my table, in my river shack, where I write, looking, and I have a great view of the Kalamazoo River, and that is glorious. But any time that I can share the work, and and I know that it is a a challenge. I mean, many writers are very, know the importance of having other readers. But I feel like my readers are so, I don't know if I'm just really smart choosing the right people, or if If really, almost everybody who's a thoughtful reader has really good, really good points and really good, I'm afraid, I hesitate to say advice because people are very, you know, nobody's trying to take the book away from me. But they really are helpful. I mean, there's so many people. That's why when I was, in the, You'll see that the, the um, acknowledgments part of the book got really, really long. And, and I still felt like I hadn't thanked everybody.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Today on Living Writers, Bonnie Jo Campbell is here. Her, her beautiful novel, The Waters, out with Norton now. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers, and we'll be back.
0: When I die, let the wolves enjoy my bones When I die, let me go When I die, let the wolves enjoy my bones When I die, let me go
1: Today on Living Writers, Bonnie Jo Campbell is here in the studio. We've got *The Waters*, her latest novel, out with Norton, here on the table with us. And Bonnie, would you would you read something from the novel so we can hear hear you and hear hear the prose, the words? Yes,
2: and you know it's kind of cool that uh, there's there's a there's a book on ta- you know the audio version of the book. I asked uh, Lily Taylor, the actress, to read the book. And so she's the one doing the audiobook. So, so her voice. Her voice. Like... So it'll be fun if any of you are audiobook fans. Okay, this is chap- from the very beginning. I thought this would be good because you don't have to know anything. And it's chapter zero, which is the prologue. And it's called The Town Has a Troubled Soul. Once upon a time, Masaga Island was the place where desperate mothers abandoned baby girls and where young women went seeking to prevent babies altogether. But in living memory, Rose Cottage on the island was the home of the herbalist, Hermine herself, Zook, who raised her three daughters there. The oldest, a lawyer named Primrose, was the most accomplished. The middle daughter, Mary Rose, called Molly, a nurse, was the most practical. And the youngest, Rose Thorne, was lazy and beautiful. Her means medicines, her tinctures, salves, and waters are now discredited in the light of day. But at night, the people of White Hart, Michigan, still use them. If some tidy housekeeper or other busybody hasn't tossed away the unlabeled jars and bottles. Only tiny amounts of these fixes are required as they have become more effective with time. Sometimes just unstoppering a bottle is enough to release a cloud of soothing into an ailing household. The island and its women loom large in the dreams of local folks who sometimes wake up sweating from visions of witches in black though the island women never wore black or of crows watchful in treetops, or of swamp streams bubbling up through the floorboards of their houses. It is said that the island, where healing waters percolate to the surface, was a place where women shared one another's dreams, a place where women did what they wanted. Thanks, Bonnie. I always think it's a fun place. The In a book, I'm always interested in the last, Line of the first paragraph. <laughs> Let's, so okay. that's where we say it was a place where women shared one another's dreams, a place where women did what they wanted. So that says a lot about the book. <laughs> and so, and you said you're always interested in that. So
1: is that something when you're um, when you're when you're thinking about? even in early on in the process, you're thinking about these moments, like where you might have the architecture of that, or is this something way at the end for you? Yeah, I think it's,
2: it's way at the end for me. And I'm trying to remember, even I'm going to have to sit down with Heidi again and remember, she actually had a moment in the book and a writers will know this, this experience where I had had a lot more before this and Heidi put her on the computer, she put her finger there and said, this is where I'm interested.
1: And I said, <laughs> on that and, uh, line, yeah, even. No, yeah, on, or, or, at the, no we're at the, at the
2: beginning paragraph. And oh. so I did cut away a few pages before that.
1: And it's so great, though, to have someone be like, here's your fire here, Bonnie.
2: Yes. And so I, a lot of the other stuff then I, inc- I incorporated in later. But to really start out with, here's a family. I mean, and you could say, there's a lot about this book that's, of the fairy tale. And we can talk a little about about that. I have kind of a different take on the fairy tale than other writers do. But, um, you know, you could say that this book is about a witch who lives on a swamp island and has three daughters. And the youngest is the the most beautiful and lazy and therefore she will save them all.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, well, I
2: mean, you think about it, it's usually three sons. And there's always like... Two sons who are ambitious, and then one lazy son, although King Lear has the three daughters. Oh, the daughters, yes. So yeah. I was riffing off all those things. I, there, the book does riff off King Lear a little bit, and uh, having these three daughters. And, and the youngest is, seems the most foolish, but maybe she's the most honest, you know, like Cordelia. yes. Yeah. And so with the um,
1: when you're looking at other people's novels or short stories, is this also a line that you're looking for in their work when you're like, I'm always interested? In yeah, that I mean, now par- I
2: do now that I noticed I do that and I noticed it. I only noticed it because because in Once Upon a River, it also is an important line. Um, in Once Upon a River, um, the first paragraph is about the girl basically being in the water. And that was very important to me, that to establish Margot Crane, who's the heroine of that novel, as a physical embodiment of the river. And so in the last line, she's basically, she swallowed minnows alive, you know, so that... Seem to me to set the tone to some degree. And I'm not sure other writers really do it as much as I do. But I just love that place. Some people say that the first paragraph, the first couple lines have to kind of have to determine the whole novel. And I don't know about that. I mean, ideally, they'll say something about the novel. But I think that that first paragraph, you know, obviously is setting, setting the reader up. For what's to come,
1: and thanks for also reminding all of us too, because what you read to us was indeed the first paragraph. That's like this; it's it's wide ranging. It's it's doing so much work with what's to come, And, and
2: it's also very plain. It's very plain to say here's a place where here's a place where there's you know where people get medicines, and there's a woman and has three daughters and. Um, it's a very p- peculiar place where women do what they want. And, <laughs> and it's sort of, it became sort of my, dr- sort of a dream and a mantra of just like, I want to live in a world where women do what they want. <laughs> what would that look like? Yeah. And the funny thing is, of course, the other problem is, what do we want? <laughs> you know, what do I want as a woman? So that's you know now that I've got a world where I can do what I want. What do mm-hmm. I want to do? So, mm-hmm. and so did you feel like the time that it took you took
1: writing and drafting the waters, Bonnie? Was that a time when you were because the woman here the this the sentence says a place where women did what they wanted, but they're they're not always on this island, and the the bridge has been is is eventually breached and um and the book itself i think is defined by the struggles that the pressures from the community um the outside world other expectations other people's needs um, so they're they're not always <laughs> doing what they want no, so that so tension st- is
2: yeah it, it stands as a dream where these women would do what they want and and to some extent they do like that's why donkey the dorothy doesn't go to school she only does what she wants <laughs> she doesn't want and yet the ironic thing is she does want to go to school you know but these various influences around her you know prevent her but yeah that's the thing is this is a this isn't this is their island and it and it is it is their place it belongs to this family which is headed by this matriarch and it has always been headed by a matriarch uh and yet It is always and especially now feeling pressures from outside. And if nothing else, it's pure curiosity that the people of the town, you know, any place you would tell people they shouldn't go, they want to go there. And so. But that's
1: kind of you to say too, but it also seems like it's more in relief, like the uh, women's health. Being at the the center of this, and also important now in our state of Michigan as well as across the nation about the future of women's health in a lot of ways. Yes, <laughs> uh, exactly. And pregnancy. The wo- yep. And, and the women. And- I mean,
2: this book is about women's reproductive rights at its core, and yet it work has it works all around the issue. You know, but that is at the very center of it, and you know, it's interesting that my initial desire in writing this book. So I have this island where these women are. And my desire was to protect these women and to save their island and to keep it private for them in the same way that I want women's bodies to be Mm. private. And I want women's bodies to be safe from violation and so that's was my going into this that my goal was to find out how to preserve this island in the most pristine form that I could for these women forever and yet what I found out as I wrote is that this is a story about community and we cannot ignore the the needs of men the desires of men. The desires of women are very much at the forefront, but there, there is also this world of men and a world of, of um, what can we say, contemporary community, the, the kind of communities we live in, especially rural communities, are patriarchal religious they, communities they just so are and religion often often a church is front and center in these communities and i you know this town has a particular church that used to be maybe a little bit more of an inspirational church where people went to be filled with the spirit yes and now and there's some- like covered murals yeah there's a basement in the bas- church. Yeah, it's definitely underground. <laughs> but yes, but the church now has become a church of rules where this is you know people are not filled with the holy spirit when they go to church, but they are told how to vote and they are instructed in how they should behave and how they should how they should who is the end? You know who is friend and who is foe, and that's being taught at the church. And so the the people who attend the church are feeling that pressure. They want to be godly, and when they're, you know, when the the person standing before them representing the church puts pressure on them to let's say vilify these women, they feel they they feel that pressure, and so the the people of the community have always um, have always been a little bit in awe of the women in the swamp and their abilities to heal. They've always... Awe always has an element of fear. Yes. And so there was a little bit of fear of these women, but also respect. Yes. And so that seemed like, to me, that seemed just perfect. A little bit of fear, a little bit of respect. <laughs> That's good for this, this matriarch. However... Now, the the people of the community are feeling a little bolder about criticizing the women and even coming and standing and shouting things and, and demanding healing. Demanding healing at the same time that they are treating the women with disrespect. So they want what the women have, but they they, at the same time, don't respect the mystery of what the women have. Thanks, Bonnie. We'll take a short break and then we'll come back. Today on Living Writers, Bonnie
1: Jo Campbell is here. The novel, The Waters. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back.
0: I take my time, I breathe in and out Steady in my aim, feet on the ground I saw your name, written clear across the sky
1: Being here today, everybody out there listening, and Bonnie Jo Campbell, thanks so much to you for being here today and and talking. with with us here at Living Writers and, and me and, and Jason on a cold January day. <laughs> oh,
2: thank you so much for bringing me here.
1: <laughs> anytime, anytime. Can you tell like a little bit about the song we just heard?
2: Oh, the um, that song is Rachel's song from uh, Harula Rose, who is a wonderful vocalist. And she is also the director and wrote the screenplay for the movie of Once Upon a River. And so that is uh, Rachel's song, which comes at the end of the movie. And it just, I cry every time I, I cry every time I hear that song because it's so beautiful. And uh, I'm just glad to give a shout out to Harula Rose, who also made a trailer for this book. And so you can look if you look online for The Waters, Um, Bonnie Jo Campbell trailer, you will find a one-minute movie. It was very hard to get it down to one minute. We had a much better 90-second one or two-minute one, but we edited it down, and so you'll see her handiwork. She's a great filmmaker and a great musician. And I love how in the
1: the trailer... um, it, it's it's evocative in the and um, trusting in the place itself and putting you in the place and and we get to see a donkey yes. as well and um, because you as you we we haven't done the traditional bio bit but that's all right because i think we've been going along and 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 hearing the stories and putting pieces together bonnie and um like living with your husband in kalamazoo with two donkeys right is it two donkeys yep, yep. yeah Yep. Shout out to Christopher. <laughs> yes, hello, Christopher out there. And I just, I I love that donkeys are a part of your life. I'm absolutely thrilled by that. And that's and, another fun
2: thing that I managed to get. I've always wanted to write about donkeys, but I just haven't been able to fit them in. I mean, I've put them in, I've put donkeys in stories before, but always had to write them out because they didn't fit. Ah, and, uh, but they stayed in here. So the donkeys triumph and disaster are in here. And and in truth, I'll tell you that we had donkeys named Triumph and Disaster when I was growing up. Those were some of our first donkeys. And so it's it's a it's a metaphor.
1: <laughs> yes. And it's real life. Yes. <laughs> Just, uh, um, but yes, yeah, so thank you so much for for, for picking today's music, Bonnie and Yes. And just having the chance to even I can see why you didn't want to let go of donkey as a title, too, because I would have been gripping tight to that as well. As like the I love that our our character, Dorothy, her name is donkey as well. And that she loves, you know, she likes that name, too. But there's tension with that, too, isn't there? With Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I know there are a lot of nicknames in the book and some some people don't like nicknames, I guess. I, I think they're fun. And and the truth is, if as a writer, I it takes me so long to write that if a nickname isn't really true to the character, it'll go away.
1: It'll peel. I mean, off. there's yeah. a
2: lot of st- stuff that was in this. I mean, this book was 650 pages long, and at its longest, I think at two times it swelled up to 650 pages, and I had to write it back down. And uh, and, and when you
1: say that, write it back down. It's part of your revision process. Mm-hmm.
2: And you're going line by line with line it. by line, and and scene by scene, and figuring out uh, are there scenes that duplicate work? Um, there's certain, I mean, at, you know, this, this doing the same job. So yeah, and this and the, is the, this has an omniscient narrator, which is a big deal. So it means I can be I can be in the head of anybody. I can also be in God's head. I can be in the head of an animal, and I a can a snake, a <laughs> snake, and so there was at every point there's a big choice whose point of view is worth show. What is the best point of view for showing this particular scene? And if, do I need to show the scene at all? And so can we talk about that, Bonnie? Cause yeah. I did have a question cause
1: I, there's so many things like we, we, like the map, um, the structure of the book that. Like, Shout out
2: to Monica Friedman for the map.
1: It's beautiful. And I, every, gosh, everyone should be so lucky to have a map, the view from White Hart, Michigan. Um, and how. We have the uh, the the structure. We talked about how um, we actually got to hear Bonnie read part before we then got to to chapter one, and now we've got uh, chapter I guess infinity epilogue, <laughs> um, and and it was so it, this this was if you don't mind talking about this for a moment, Bonnie, it was so interesting to me because the final chapter where we have we see Donkey and we see herself, Hermine, and in this moment. And then we pivot and we have a different point of view and we go to Titus and, um, and so it becomes, I wanted to ask you about that.
2: Because I know it's a, it's a big decision. So what, what, well, why? that's, you know, I mentioned that my initial intention was to write about these women, was to write a book about women. I wanted to write the most woman centric book ever written. And I think I did. I'll be honest. I think we'll see what time... Tells if people ever see that, but it's, it's got a feminine structure. It's got a very spirally structure. It's not, it's not the hero's journey. You know, it's, we could talk forever about Sharon Blackie, shout out to Sharon Blackie uh, mythologist who talks about this. But, um, what I found that, um, what I found was maybe just as important as the women, women's bodies, women's integrity, was the redemption of men. And that is what that ending is about, is about the potential for male redemption in the book, is that we're in a problem, we're, we have a problem, we have a big problem in society all over the world. So it's not just America, it's all over the world. And if the world is going to sur- survive, we need to be... We need to be bringing the feminine everywhere. The feminine needs to, it's already here, but it needs to be accepted. It needs to be embraced. It needs to be, it needs to be um, fully made partner with the masculine. And that is our only hope. And so I'm working with a group of men in this book. I'm working with women who have their own struggles, but I'm working with a group of men for whom I see a lot of potential. They're, they're, they're men who maybe maybe it would be easy to write them off and to, I don't know laugh at them or something. but I take them very seriously and they're capable of they're capable of great love and and they're capable of the work that, needs to be done in our courage. Yeah. It takes, they're capable of the work that needs to be done in our communities and in our nation and in the world. And I'm, I feel like I want to give them a chance to do it. And so especially Titus who he's on his way, he's on his way, Titus, because he's, he's basically torn. He's, he's torn every which way by his love by the, by his great love, by his decency. You know, we know in this world that no good deed goes unpunished. And in a profound way, a person's decency is probably the thing that will cause them as much pain as anything else in their lives. And so I've put him in a very difficult situation where there's no right or wrong anymore. There's only becoming his larger self and finding a way to embrace that. <laughs> and and you laugh,
1: but lo- lovingly.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, I think he's capable of it in the story. And you know, all of us have work to do and you know, the women the women in the story maybe maybe they get a little bit more of the glamour of my attention. You know, but I love the masculinity, you know, of a character like Titus who embraces all that's wonderful about masculinity. And um, if, you know, and also we haven't even mentioned this is a love story. This is a love story between Rose Thorn and Titus from beginning to end. And it may not, it may not at the end be have you in, in, a traditional place where a a love story leaves you. But these are two people who love each other very much. And I see that love as eternal.
1: (laughs) Bonnie, when you, this took a long time, The Waters, to write, didn't it? It
2: did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it took eight years of serious writing. And then there are pieces of it that were from earlier works even. So... So, and, you know, in order to write this, I had, a lot of things had to happen. You know, I had to have cancer. My mother had to have cancer and die. And, you know, we had to go through COVID. Um, I feel like all that, you know, made the book possible, even though all that was brutal, you know, that all that made this book possible. So I'm, you know, I, we won't say we won't say we're happy to have suffering and to have to have the troubles that we must have, but that this book reflects what, well, I, I'll say what I have learned about the world, but there's something about it. I don't even feel like it's my book. I don't know, I feel like it's somehow a community book. And I feel like all these people that I thank at the end, um, I feel like they were there in the writing of the book and so many more people, so. <laughs>
1: thanks for today, Bonnie, thank you so much.
2: Oh, thanks for having me, this has been great. <laughs> today on Living Writers,
1: Bonnie Jo Campbell, her latest novel, the waters I'm T Hetzel thanks to Jason for engineering thanks to you all for listening until next time thank you so much I was a
0: high woman and a mother from my youth for my children I did what I had to do my family left Honduras when they killed the Sandinistas We followed our coyote through the dust of Mexico. Every one of them except for me survived, and I am still alive.